Good Wednesday morning, President Biden and Vladimir Putin in the spotlight. A dramatic war of words over the war in Ukraine. It's September 21st, and this is today. Fighting words. Russia's president in a rare address overnight, announcing he will mobilize hundreds of thousands of additional troops to Ukraine and warning the West of nuclear retaliation, saying he is not bluffing. This morning, President Biden in New York before world leaders at the U.N. General Assembly. How will he respond? We're live with complete coverage. Breaking overnight, Hurricane Fiona strengthens once again, now a monster Category 4. What's next in a destructive path that left Puerto Rico reeling? And Al's got his eye on a new storm that could become a threat for the Gulf Coast. Stressed out. The new recommendation that almost all adults should be screened for anxiety. Straight ahead, a closer look at one of the biggest steps yet to address the nation's mental health crisis. Call waiting what one school district did to combat cell phone distractions in the classroom. Lock them up. We're trying to develop those lifelong habits. How it works and the safety concerns being voiced by some parents. All that plus Roger and out. Our exclusive one-on-one with tennis icon Roger Federer, ahead of the final match of his legendary career. An inspiring and emotional look back before the great calls it game, set, match. Today, Wednesday, September 21st, 2022. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Oda Cutby. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. Nice to have you with us on a busy Wednesday. Roger Federer sat down with us while we were in London on the eve of his final match and his competitive career. It's going to be, we hope, an inspiring look back just ahead. Looking forward to that. Also coming up in just a bit, the latest on a now Category 4 Hurricane Fiona and another storm now forming in the Atlantic that could pose a threat to the Gulf Coast this week. We've got Al tracking all of it. But we want to begin this morning with that breaking news out of Russia. Overnight, Vladimir Putin doubling down in his war against Ukraine in a national address, ordering up more troops after a series of setbacks and vowing Russia will use all means at its disposal, and he added, I am not bluffing. This comes as President Biden prepares to focus on the war during a key speech at the United Nations before world leaders today. We have two reports for you. We'll start with NBC's chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, in Ukraine for us. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Savannah. President Putin is now making nuclear threats, and he says his main enemy, Russia's main enemy, is the West, which is supplying weapons to Ukraine. And he says, therefore, he has no choice but to escalate the war here in Ukraine. Backed in a corner, President Vladimir Putin put Russia further on war footing to try to reverse stunning losses in Ukraine. I deem it necessary to support the proposal of the Ministry of Defense and the General Command for partial mobilization in the Russian Federation, he said. That includes a call-up of reserves. With new American and European weapons and increased intelligence cooperation, Ukraine's military has liberated thousands of square miles from Russia over the last two weeks. Perhaps in response, in a seemingly coordinated move, four parts of Ukraine that are partially or completely controlled by Russian troops are now holding votes to become part of Russia. The U.S. has called the vote a sham, but it could give Russia a pretext to annex Ukrainian territory, then threaten to defend it with nuclear weapons. 
Putin already this morning threatening Russia would use all the means at its disposal, adding, this is not a bluff. Ukrainians are still exhuming bodies from mass graves outside towns they recaptured from Russia. A civil defense worker says many of the bodies had their hands bound and showed signs of torture. Maxim told us how he was tortured by Russian interrogators with electric shocks. They suspected he was passing on intelligence to Ukrainian forces. So this was your cell down this hallway yeah, here? Yeah. Four people. Four, four people inside. Four, four men. Uh, this. Maxim took me to the basement. So this was the torture room. Maxim says he was seated and handcuffed and showed me a picture of the machine they used to give him electric shocks. What were they asking? What do they want to know? They said, you talk. You know what we want. Tell us. Maxim says he was rescued when Ukrainian forces drove the Russians out. Senior Ukrainian officials this morning dismissed Russia's move to call up reserves, saying it is a sign of weakness and shows inadequacies in the standing Russian army. Savannah. All right, Richard Engel leading us off from Ukraine. Thank you, Richard. And as we mentioned, the war will be a major focus of President Biden's address to the U.N. General Assembly this morning. NBC's chief White House correspondent Kristen Welker is up from Washington. Wow. With his overnight speech, Kristen, and now President Biden is supposed to give a, uh, a speech to the General Assembly. Any idea what he might say, given this breaking news? Well, I think you can expect to hear him reiterate that if Vladimir Putin were to use nuclear or chemical weapons, the U.S. will respond with severe consequences. But here's the question. What do those severe consequences look like? Because, of course, President Biden has taken the possibility of sending U.S. troops into Ukraine to fight this war. And so he is keeping that piece of it very close to the vest. But uh, I am told this will be a forceful speech. And the goal is really going to be to rally support around Ukraine. This is a war that is now stretching into its seventh month. The U.S. U.S. has committed more than $15 billion. So keeping up that support for Ukraine is going to be critical. And remember, Europe is facing the possibility of a potential economic downturn. So that's the real challenge for the president and, frankly, for this international community. So there is just going to be so much scrutiny on the president's speech. And it is worth noting that President Zelensky will also mm. speak virtually today to the U.S. Yeah, I mean, Putin is clearly trying to break the will of the West mm -hmm trying to wait it out, see how long, especially with the, the economic stressors that in particular Europe is under. Putin is not going to be there. So it's probably no accident that he decided to, to release this speech overnight. So that's such an important point, Savannah. Putin is not there. It's not a surprise that he's not there. But there are also no scheduled meetings between U.S. and Russian officials. And I spoke with a senior administration official overnight who said the fact that there are no talks planned really underscores the fact that there's just no hope for diplomacy right now. And you are dealing with such an unpredictable leader who, as Richard just reported, has suffered setbacks mm -hmm. right now. So the question is, what will he do? It really adds urgency to the president's remarks today. At least with the rhetoric, he's digging in, doubling down big time, Chris. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Another major story we're following, of course, Hurricane Fiona gaining even more strength overnight. Now a massive Category 4 storm as it moves away now from Turks and Caicos. It left a trail of destruction across the Caribbean. Now it's going to have the latest on Fiona's path now and a new storm forming in the Atlantic this morning. But first, let's get to NBC national correspondent Gabe Gutierrez in Puerto Rico with a first-hand look at that devastating damage left behind. Gabe, good morning.
Savannah, good morning. A massive cleanup effort is underway here in Puerto Rico. This is an island that had not yet fully recovered from its last major hurricane, Maria, five years ago when Fiona roared ashore. And now that storm is intensifying as it moves away from the Caribbean. This morning, Hurricane Fiona is strengthening, heading towards Bermuda after barreling through Turks and Caicos with winds up to 125 miles per hour, triggering a shelter-in-place order. In the Dominican Republic, more than a million people are without power, carving a deadly path through the Caribbean. At least five people dead, either directly because of the storm or its aftermath. From above, just a small glimpse of the DR destruction. Homes and even entire crops of bananas now gone. In Puerto Rico, another agonizing night, days after Fiona made landfall. Just 20% of the island has power, 50% has running water. Here is my sofa, my microwave, my TV. Charaima Morales is in the dark, her flooded belongings now on the street corner, her patience running out. I don't know how to explain the hard it is. She and many others here think local officials did not learn lessons after Hurricane Maria decimated the island's power grid five years ago. Do you think that the government of Puerto Rico was adequately prepared for this hurricane? No. Why not? Because they did nothing. Fiona now also devastating her town, Toa Baja, in northern Puerto Rico, as we saw during an aerial tour. The water here just kept rising, choking off these communities for the better part of two days. Thankfully, the water is now receding, but the pain is not. We met another family in southern Puerto Rico reaching their flooded home for the first time. Oh, it's so bad. Today, more long fuel lines are expected as Puerto Ricans scramble to feed their portable generators. The governor here is asking for expedited federal help. FEMA says its warehouses are stocked and it's promising to send more disaster teams to help. But meanwhile, some areas in the mountain areas of Puerto Rico are still inaccessible because roads have been washed away. Savannah. All right, Gabe Gutierrez in Puerto Rico for us. Gabe, thank you. Let's bring it down now. He's going to track a little bit more Fiona. And there's also a new threat behind her. Yeah, actually, guys, we're starting to see it looks like the second half of the hurricane season going to be kind of backloaded. We've got a lot going on right now in the Atlantic. One system coming off of Africa, 50 percent chance of formation, 20 percent another part. We've got Tropical Storm Gaston, not going to be any place where we're worried about. But we are watching this system down here. We'll get to that in a minute. Hurricane Fiona right now in our sights. Look at the well-defined eye wall. It's 720 miles southwest of Bermuda, Category 4 storm, 130-mile-per-hour winds. It's moving north at 8 miles per hour. The good news is track has moved a little further to the east, and so Bermuda, while it may get some rain, 2 to 4 inches, and some tropical forest winds, the good news is they won't get the brunt of this. But as it makes its way up as we move into Saturday morning, we're going to be looking along the east coast at a lot of rough surf, rip currents, long, strong waves. Uh, could be 12-foot waves off of uh, Carolina coastline. We're going to watch that. Then it's going to continue on up into Canada, and they may see their strongest ever hurricane make landfall up there. Next system, this is 98L, a 90% chance of development. If it becomes a storm, it's Hermione makes its way into the Caribbean Sea. This is the development zone. We're going to watch it. We put the what we call the spaghetti plot models, and you can see right on into next week, there's a wide swath, but some parts, some of these models bring it up into the 
Gulf of Mexico. So we're going to continue to track this. But in the meantime, right now, we watch Fiona make its way away. But still, the folks in Bermuda have to worry about it. And along the East Coast, we got to worry about that rough surf. All right, Al. Thank you. Uh, Now to some new developments this morning in the battle over the border. A group of migrants taken to Martha's Vineyard now suing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and other state officials, alleging they were misled into boarding flights through false promises. NBC's Emily Aketa has been on that story from the start. She's now in D.C. with new details. Hey, Emily, good morning. Good morning to you, Hoda. Governor DeSantis is facing that new lawsuit and a separate criminal investigation by a Texas sheriff. As speculation mounts about whether he will try to fly more migrants out of the South, which is experiencing a record influx in border crossings. Nearly 8,000 migrants arriving daily. Nobody can deny that there's a crisis. This morning, Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis facing backlash for his decision to fly 48 Venezuelan migrants to Martha's Vineyard last week. Attorneys representing some of those migrants filing a lawsuit late Tuesday against DeSantis and other Florida officials, accusing them of a premeditated, fraudulent and illegal scheme to transport them to the island. The suit, which is seeking class action status in Massachusetts, says the migrants were lured with incentives like McDonald's gift certificates and free hotel stays and were promised jobs, housing and educational opportunities if they boarded planes to other states. DeSantis maintains the flights were voluntary and that migrants signed a consent form shared overnight by his office, who responded to the lawsuit, writing Florida's program gave them a fresh start in a sanctuary state. And these individuals opted to take advantage of chartered flights to Massachusetts. If 50 was a burden on one of the richest places in our country, what about all these other communities that have been overrun with hundreds or thousands? The lawsuit comes two days after a Texas sheriff announced a criminal investigation into the flights, which originated in his state. Sheriff Javier Salazar, a Democrat, says the migrants were lured with false promises of work and assistance. Massachusetts Republican Governor Charlie Baker says he supports the sheriff's investigation, but is also urging the Biden administration and Congress to enact sweeping immigration and border security reform. I'd like to see the feds create an immigration policy that people can understand and people can enforce and people can abide by. We don't have that. Homeland Security reports illegal border crossings have hit a record high, totaling more than 2 million in the last 11 months. And on Tuesday, there were unconfirmed rumors a plane carrying migrants was heading to President Biden's home state of Delaware. The White House said it was coordinating with state officials to prepare. Volunteer groups stood by to help. Reporters and camera crews staked out airports, but the plane and the migrants never arrived, landing at New Jersey's Teterboro Airport, appearing not to have any passengers on board. Hoda. All right, Emily Aketa Force there in D.C. Emily, on that story. Thank you. All right, we got 18 minutes after the hour. Mr. Roker, what are we looking at? That would be exciting. <laughs> okay, nice. All right, we are looking at some severe storms pushing through through the Northeast. We'll take a look at that coming up in the next half. Our record highs down through the South. We've got a flood risk continuing through the Southwest because of this monsoon moisture continuing pushing into the Southwest. So we're going to be watching for possible flooding there as well. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al, thank Thanks. you. We'll still ahead this morning, a major step to address the epidemic of anxiety in this country. The new recommendation that almost every single adult, whether you experience symptoms or not, should be screened. Plus, should your children be able to use cell phones in school? Well, there's a new wrinkle in that battle following a decision in Dallas that has parents and teachers choosing sides. But first, this is Today on NBC.
When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're back, y'all. 7.30 headlines now on a Wednesday morning. The Federal Reserve expected to raise interest rates again today in its ongoing battle against that soaring inflation. Analysts project that the central bank will raise its benchmark rate by another three quarters of a point following similar hikes in both June and July. The annual inflation rate in August was 8.3%. The special master appointed to review documents seized at Mar-a-Lago appeared doubtful about Donald Trump's claims that he had declassified top-secret documents found there. At a hearing in federal court, Judge Raymond Deary pressed Trump's lawyers about whether they had any evidence to show Trump had declassified the records. The judge says he's taking the government's concerns about national security seriously. A man was arrested last night for allegedly dumping a bucket of paint and writing profanities on the Washington Monument. The motive for vandalism was not immediately clear. The monument is expected to remain closed while an investigation continues. Officials say it could take up to three weeks before the paint is completely removed. And now to a health headline this morning that's getting a lot of attention. A new recommendation that adults under the age of 65 be routinely screened for anxiety. Yeah, NBC's mm. Sam Brock is here with details and more on what we can all do to cope with stress in our lives. Hi, Sam. Good morning. Hi, Savannah, guys. Good morning. This is absolutely a first. A health group recommending screening for anxiety, regardless of symptoms, for most adults. Now, interestingly, the research predates the pandemic, but one of the authors points out this could not come at a more critical time, with COVID taking a tremendous toll on Americans' mental health. The silent suffering of anxiety could be a thing of the past. According to the latest draft recommendation by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, routine screenings are considered beneficial for adults under 65, including pregnant and postpartum women without any symptoms. What they're recommending now is a great thing because it'll let doctors open up the conversation and hopefully from there, they'll be able to diagnose more and treat more. Anxiety disorders are considered the most common mental illness in the country, affecting nearly 50 million people. With just under one out of every three adults saying they've experienced an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. And according to a recent survey from the CDC, over the course of the pandemic, the number of adults seeking treatment increased from 19% to 21. And anytime you have a stressful environment, be a pandemic, be any kind of disasters, wartime periods, stress levels go up, anxiety levels go up. And in this case, more visits to the primary care doctor or to their doctor for anxiety type symptoms is essentially the tip of the iceberg. Anxiety, even found in the presence of fame and success, with more and more celebrities and athletes opening up about their personal journeys. 
like Olympic legend Michael Phelps, who discussed mental health with Savannah and Hoda. It's it's difficult, and and but. I think the only way that we're able to be our 100% authentic yeah. self is if we can take care of our mental health and our physical yeah. self at the same time. So what are some healthy ways to cope with anxiety? First, identify your triggers. What are situations or circumstances that increase your stress, make sleep a priority, and maintain a healthy diet? And if you find your anxiety interfering with anything in your life, seek help from a doctor and develop a treatment plan. The most important thing to realize is regardless of where you are in your life, where you are in your relationships, where you are in society, it can affect anyone, anywhere, anytime. Now, this draft recommendation is still in progress. It's not final yet. Right now, it's at the stage where it's open for public comment through October 17th. It is expected to get affirmed. One thing, guys, that I found really interesting, there's a study attached to this cited by the authors that the average amount of time for someone to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder is about 23 years, which is to say people are living with for years or for decades with a disorder that's not actually being diagnosed and that why there's so much attention to me. on it. I, I think mm-hmm. because a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I, of course I'm anxious. Everybody's anxious. And, and they right. don't recognize that for some people, it can be far more than just the general anxiety. Uh, yeah. And of the deal. pandemic yeah. obviously heightened it for so sure. many yeah. folks as well. Dialed up to such a degree. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. It's good to see good you in studio, you. by the way. Thank you. Uh, coming up, fall arrives tomorrow. And that also means flu season's almost here. There's brand new guidance on getting those flu shots. Dr. Azar will have everything we need to know. First, though, one school district's new solution for students who are distracted by those cell phones in the classroom. Vic? Good morning, guys. Did you know by age 14, 91% of teens have a smartphone? Well, these devices are proving to be a real distraction for some students. So coming up, we're going to show you how some schools are dealing with it, trying to balance safety and learning, and also why some parents don't love the solution. That's next on Today. Back 739, our ongoing back-to-school series. Yeah, this morning, a conversation that's playing out in homes and communities and schools all across the country. Should children who have phones be able to have access to them while they're in school? Yeah, it's a hot topic for sure. NBC's senior consumer investigative correspondent, Vicki Wynn, is here with a, a new wrinkle in that ongoing debate. Hey, Vic. Good morning, Craig Hoda and Savannah. It is a tricky question that a lot of parents struggle with, including me. You know, some people feel a lot safer knowing they have a direct line to their kids at all times. But what happens when this becomes a real distraction? One school district in Dallas is trying something new, and it is stirring up some conflict. You may have heard about the district's controversial plan to ban some students from using cell phones. Students will be required to lock up their cell phone that will start enforcing a cell phone free environment. A recent survey of 1300 kids found in 2021, 37 percent of 11 year olds had a smartphone by age 14. 91 percent have a smartphone. But at the Richardson Independent School District just outside Dallas, school leaders say they're seeing a problem with so many phones on campus distracted students. So at Forest Meadow Junior High, they're trying something new. It's called the Yonder Pouch. So here's how it works. Each student gets one of these pouches. At the beginning of the school day, they have to put their phone inside and lock the pouch. No access at all until lunchtime or dismissal when a teacher uses one of these to unlock the phone. Voila, student gets their phone back. Let's focus on learning. Superintendent Tabitha Branham says research shows adults and teens feel the urge to check their cell phones every four minutes. Why can't we just trust kids to 
keep their phones off or in their backpacks and not be distracted by them during class time. I do believe that our kids can be trusted and our kids are amazing humans. However, we know even as adults, the temptation that the cell phone can have. We're trying to develop those lifelong habits. Dallas isn't alone. To keep students focused on learning, some schools require them to put their phones in a cubby or special area when they enter the classroom. In New York City, the largest school district in the country, each school sets its own policy. In Los Angeles, students are required to turn their phones off and put them in a backpack or locker during the school day. And it may help with student learning. In a poll of 900 schools, Yonder found that when students don't have access to their phones, 65% of schools saw an improvement in academic performance. 74% showed better student behavior. And 83% saw an uptick in student engagement. Superintendent Branham says it's early, but she's already seeing some positive changes. I'm hearing stories from students where even at lunch where they could use their cell phones, that they're still keeping them put away and that they're just having conversations, that they are um, listening to one another. But some parents are unhappy with the program, citing safety as their biggest concern. It's beneficial in making the kids, I guess, you know, pay attention more in class. But the, the thing I don't like about it, like if something horrible happens in school, they won't be able to get to the phone quickly or call us. I would prefer them have some access to some type of phone immediately if they needed to in their possession. While phones can help emergency responders, some experts say phones in class can also alert an intruder to the location of a student or potentially jam up cell phone towers or broadcast sensitive information on social media. Are you concerned at all that teachers might not be able to get to the students in case of an emergency to allow them to use their phones? We are not concerned. The first and foremost thing we would want a teacher to do in the time of the crisis is execute our safety plan. Well, Yonder tells NBC News that these pouches, they can actually be found in more than a thousand schools right now in cities like San Francisco, Milwaukee, Nashville and Boston. They're not cheap. The cost is about $20 per student for Superintendent Branham. Her district is 20,000 kids. That's $400,000. We do want to thank our um, NBC Dallas station, NBC5, for their help with this story. But there's a lot of layers to it, right? Because there's the safety aspect. Mm-hmm. There's the convenience of being able to reach your kids. But then there's also the distraction, which, as we saw, as soon as they started taking the phones away, people's be- the kids' behavior changed. Is it, that something? Yeah, it retrains the brain. So how and however you, you store it. You know, whether you right. store it in a pouch like that for 20 bucks or just lock it away right. somehow. Right. Yeah. The concept is the same. Keep it out of yeah. the kid's hand. So, Craig, I have your phone. Sure. I'll show you how easy it is. Yeah. But here's yeah. the thing. Like, if phones change size, you got to change the size of the pouch. Sure. But you just lock it up. Yeah. And then here, you try to be the teacher. Like That's this. the base. You just slam it down. It's kind of like when you go shopping, yeah. you know, yeah. and they've got to the right do the magnetic tag. Yeah, I think so. There we go. Okay. <laughs> is it coming out? No, the other side. The other oh. side. There you go. This well, pops up. Yeah. It's Craig proof. <laughs> okay. That's for sure. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You do that, and then boom. That's expensive, it. though, when school district yeah. budgets are sure. tight. And you're talking $400,000. $400, yeah. yeah. But I mean, that's how big of a problem it is. You're you're never, by the way, Craig, you're never going to I know. I'm okay with that. And there, there we go. go. Some houses could use that, by the yeah. way. It's true. It's not a bad concept to take this away, retrain your brain, and change the habits that people have about reaching for their phone every day. There's no question we're all distracted when our phones are around. Even if you're not looking at it.
it. Like, you it's know like it's a, there. Yeah, or a ding, you know, a buzz. Yeah. I know. Broker, you were way ahead of this. You, right. were, you were so far ahead when it came to Nick and a phone at night, at well, least. We just, we had a, I had a safe in my bedroom. And we yeah. it just, that was door. it. Nine o'clock, everything went in the safe. That's Smart. it. Lock it down. Okay. okay. There you go. Right. No, hey, 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 it's not, it's not that I'm that bright. I'm just lazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to keep do, worrying about the phone. Hey, we have to worry about some severe weather today coming across the Great Lakes from our friends just from Detroit down to Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Syracuse, Oswego, New York. 20 million folks at risk. Damaging winds. We've got hail possibility and some tornadoes possible as well. What's going to be causing this? Is a cold front going to be pushing through? Well, guess what? That cold front is going to bring temperatures more fall-like. Chicago, Wednesday, you're at 80 by Friday. 64. Columbus, you're at 92. Wednesday, 66 on Friday. New York City, we're down to 62 degrees. Look at Little Rock, a high Wednesday of 100 degrees by Friday, down to 86. So more fall-like, cool seasonal temperatures. And and that is your latest weather. Guys? Okay, Al, thank Thanks, you. Al. Coming up next, we're going to dive into the debate of the ages. How early is too early mm. when it comes to going out for dinner? <laughs> we know where this life. crowd oh, stands. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back right after. Early bird special, baby. Always. <laughs> dinner? Well, what time is it? It's 4.30. 4.30? Who eats dinner at 4.30? By the time we sit down, it'll be quarter to five. I don't understand why we have to eat now. We gotta catch the early bird. It's only between 4.30 and 6. Yeah, they give you a tenderloin, a salad, and a baked potato for 4.95. You know what that costs you after 6? Can <laughs> we eat at a decent hour? I'll treat, okay? You're not buying us dinner. I'm not force feeding myself a steak at 4.30 to save a couple bucks, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's Thomas, right? Oh. We're back with Chanel, also back with that classic scene from Seinfeld, touching on the great debate over eating dinner earlier rather than later. Yes, that's what everybody's buzzing about. A New York Times article is adding that to the conversation, declaring 6 p.m. is the new 8 p.m., yes. especially for people here in New York. They say it's due in part to changing habits from the pandemic. People just don't want to stay up later. You know, they're just... I, I, I can't well, we we're all know how we're doing this. Why are we doing on. this story? This is our story. We yeah. are at 6 p.m. Yeah. We, well, we five, five, honestly. Yeah, five is when we start. Five. Oh, yeah. You got to start. We, five. Well, it's six o'clock. And, you know, and my kids are so used to the idea yeah. of eating at six. When they were going out to, with friends, they were yeah. like, what's wrong with you? Have you ever yeah. tried to meet friends out? And they're like, you want to meet at eight for dinner? I was like, oh, no, no, no. no. no we're pe- meeting at six. No, if someone says 8 p.m., I'm like, are we going to a rave? Yeah. Like, what is this, a club? 8 p.m.? And here's crazy? the thing. It's not just because we're old fogies. There are health benefits to eat yes. earlier as well, it's right? Well so that's yeah. 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 yeah, they're but really you know what? Digest. I don't want the New York Times to write this because then everyone's going to be crowding <laughs> it. Now it's going to be hard to get reservations. Yeah, 5 p.m. You can We've, get the best restaurant in town you can get in. We've too. pushed to 6.30 because of the kids. Really? 6.30? 6.30. You need to train those kids early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they got the soccer yeah. and the basketball. I don't care. You want to eat? Just get here. Who's coming up next hour? Roger Federer, his interview is first one since announcing his retirement. He'll be right back here, and we're going to have a good look back at that legendary tennis career and some of his biggest rivalries blossoming into surprising friendships. 